Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. The one brand that I remember specifically making me realize that the brand can be and maybe should be more than the product itself was United Colors of Benetton. Mm -hmm. And I know they went on to be fairly controversial, but in the 80s, just the, you know, the social consciousness and the multicultural focus. And I remember as a youth being like, oh, this is really different. And I know what this company stands for. I'm not even sure what they sell, but I know like, okay, it's clothing. I get that now. But like sort of that brand first mentality made a huge mark on me. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Kelly Lohr, the Chief Marketing Officer for Orange Theory Fitness, the leading heart rate-based workout that combines science, technology, and expert coaching to help members live a longer, more vibrant life. That's a worthy brand purpose. Orange Theory's history begins in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with founder Ellen Latham opening the first studio in 2010. Now, more than a decade later, they've expanded to 1,500 studios throughout the U.S. and 24 countries, with over 1 million members and surpassing $1 billion in sales. My guest Kelly first discovered Orange Theory as a member herself before joining the team in 2022, bringing her 20 years of marketing experience to the brand, including time at Freshly and Amazon Go. What you're about to hear is Kelly's remarkable personal story as well as a story of a brand that needed to revive people's interest in returning to in-person workouts following the shutdowns of 2020 and 2021. They have done that remarkably well. The brand is stronger today than it was pre-pandemic. We recorded this conversation face-to-face at the Next Gen CMO Academy at Deloitte University in Dallas, Texas. This is my conversation with a CMO who loves working out as much as I do. Here's Kelly. Kelly, welcome to the CMO Podcast. We are here at Deloitte University having a great time. This place has a fabulous gym and fitness schedule. Did you work out this morning with a non-Orange Theory instructor? I knew you were going to ask me that question. I did not, mostly because I um, took our strength class yesterday and I'm taking a class tomorrow. So I decided to take a rest day today. It is rare for me to not put my tennis shoes in my mm-hmm. my roller bag, but not this time. You didn't do it this yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. Do you feel weird taking a rest day? I kind of do. If I don't do something, I'm like, something's you know, missing in my day. No, because I only take about one to two a okay. week. Yeah. And so- Recovery. Yeah, yeah. And also it's just a balance of, you know, there's all of the pillars of health and wellness, right? It's a balance of sleep and a balance of also for me, making sure that I'm- at least caught up to a certain level on work because there's like that underlying stress that sure. happens there. So it's just balancing what's what do I need in this moment yeah. more than anything. Now, I also have read that you love planning family adventures. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear about a really fabulous family adventure that you have planned 
and what you're looking for, oh, forward to next. Gosh, we have two great ones planned, actually. So we're going to Barbados um, next or at Memorial Day next mm-hmm. year. And that we are taking my mother and my husband's father um, with us, who are both 70 years plus old, and our kids, obviously. So we're very excited about that. That'll be something that we, you know, as far as being able to take our parents with us. Mm -hmm. And then we are also planning uh, 10 days in the BVI with some friends who he's a captain. And so we will be basically taking out a, um, I don't know, 50 something foot catamaran and we'll spend seven nights. Can we go? Yeah. Can we do Island hopping in the British Virgin Islands. We'll do an addendum to the podcast then. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> there you go. On site. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll be interesting. I'll, you know, I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. So by then, they'll be nine and six. But it'll it'll be interesting to see how they fare seven nights below deck. You know, They'll so, love it. Yeah, they're, love, they're very excited. Yeah, so. they'll love it. You really do plan. Yeah, we do. I love it. My husband jokes and makes fun of me because I, I actually usually plan the next trip on a trip. No, Which is, it's, yeah. I don't know why. That's good mentally. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I guess I'm supposed to be relaxing, but maybe I yeah. find planning trips fun and yeah, relaxing. So, do. yeah, so I'm always doing that, which he finds peculiar. Is there an epic trip that you have taken that you will always remember? Oh, yeah. Um. So my husband and I, we met and I was, I'm going to get kind of personal here, but I was um in my early to mid thirties. Um, and so once we realized it was, we were going to get married, um, before we had actually gone down that path, we said, you know, before we go and we start a family and we get married, let's go just do as much traveling as we can. Mm -hmm. So in 18 months, I mean, the list, I mean, we, we went to Belize, we went to, um, Thailand, we were in Spain, we were in Italy, we were in Hawaii. I mean, we, you know, we had a lot of fun, but Thailand was pretty epic. Yeah. And we did, so we hopped around um, and then we inadvertently had no idea on the last night we were there, we were staying in Bangkok and it was the Thai New Year. So like New Year's Eve in Bangkok. That's fun. It was, was it fun. It was wild and it was so fun. So, so fun. What great way. I mean, we got three hours of sleep and then got ourselves up and got on the plane the next morning. That was that was pre-kid days. Yeah. yeah <laughs> when no, right, I still right. could do that. <laughs> Well, the kids grow up and you can do it again. That's right. right? Yes. Speaking from experience. Oh, well. <laughs> We're here at the Deloitte Academy and there's all these participants who want to be in a job like yours mm-hmm. and they're a step or two away from it. And the big themes that they structure the learning this week are leadership, influence, and collaboration. So let's start our conversation by talking about those three themes. And the first one's the big word, you know, leadership. But I'd like love you to speak about an experience or an assignment or a boss that you've had in your career that's had a really significant impact on how you lead. Sometimes we have these defining assignments. Right. You know, when I was at PNG, they sent me to an acquisition. That was really hard. Then they sent me to Eastern Europe, which was really hard. And I still think of those assignments because I did go to a next level in terms of my leadership. Right to those experiences. So how about for yourself? Yeah, I'll start with saying I'm known, from what I hear, as a very authentic leader. And that is sort of how I approach most things. I think most people who meet me will say what you see is what you get. And so I think throughout my career, I started to doubt that that was strong enough, if that makes sense, if that was Mm. uh, if I needed to be more firm and and less collaborative and authentic. It was a sign of weakness, I guess, if you will. Um, And I had a boss at Amazon who I then followed actually to Freshly. And she said to me, you 
need to trust your instincts and you need to completely be yourself. It is one of the things that your team loves about you and why they will follow you. I mean, she she gave me that permission, I guess, to sort of do that. And so from there, I was able to really think about how to be myself, but also be what my team needed of me. And I would say that I think that still today has helped me. You know, we're all, like leadership is, it's really, you know, not to sound cliche, but I mean, we're, we're, it's a team mentality, yeah. right? And I'm one of that team. I don't think I'm any, you know, above. I have different tasks and roles and things I need to focus on as a leader of the team, but I am part of that team. And so it becomes a like, how can I help you? How can you help me? How do we do this together? Um, and so I think that that has been really crucial in having open and honest conversation as far as development goes as far as understanding what people on my team think, need, want. And it's almost like a closeness, if you will. And so that's really, truly, I would say, authentic and collaborative are what I'm known for. And she helped give me the power to feel confident in that, which I don't know that I would have found. I worry that I would have tried to go down this route of like, be the leader in the textbook um, versus, you know, find the leader within myself. When she had that conversation with you, what turned? What what did you do in terms of how you thought about yourself or how you presented yourself? It was truly just more of a confidence thing. Mm-hmm. It was the confidence to lead in the way that I felt was the right way to lead, right? Instead of trying to be, quote unquote, yeah. the leader that, you know, that the, the textbook leader, if you will. And so confidence, you know, I have to say she was really influential in a lot of ways. The confidence that she helped instill in me, I would almost single-handedly say has gotten me here today. Um, and I've told her that. So yeah, she's great. It's a great mentor. Yeah. Yeah. Stay in touch with her. Oh yeah, sure absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now let's move to influence. So what have you learned throughout your career about influencing people without being manipulative mm-hmm. who are important to your outcomes, but are not in your direct reporting line? So I will say this is one of those capabilities, if you will, that if you know someone were to ask a few superpowers, I would say that that I hold. And I I can if I look back into why I was in uh, sales for a bit, and I think you learn a lot. When were you in sales? What organization? It was a company called GSP Retail, and so mm-hmm. it was basically an in-store marketing firm right. working with grocery and convenience mm-hmm. and specialty retail. And so I think that helped to some extent me understand that and you'll hear me talk about this a lot even in that situation it's all about being able to truly resonate with your customer so if it's an orange theory member or a customer externally facing or if it's internally facing um, internal customer stakeholder what i learned in that role was people need to have context they want to know the why Mm -hmm. so you just need to bring them along you know and so influence isn't necessarily about my way or the highway, let me tell you why we need to do it. It's, it's, it's more of let me bring you down how I got here so you can understand what I'm looking for and you can have your take, in on, you know, your take on that as well. And then we can continue that path together. And people seem to respond well to that. Was, you know, I wasn't in high pressure sales. We were, in, you know, we were selling long-term relationship, marketing firm um, consultant relationships. Mm-hmm. So, but that, that helped me. Um, then moving into Amazon where, whoo, Talk about having to get, if you want to get anything across the line, you have to get every potential stakeholder completely aligned. So 
and I was told this in review after review at Amazon, stakeholder alignment superpower, right? Because, but it's, it's about taking the time. Sit down with the person. Again, give them the context. Mm -hmm. Why are you, how did you get here? What are you looking for and why? So I think that has served me well in that you combine that with sort of disruptive thinking, you know, entrepreneurial ideas, builder, grower type mentality. You can take organizations far. If you just have influence or you just have sort of disruptive thinking, it, it, you're not as powerful when yeah. you, except for when you have you those to two together. together. Yeah. yeah. Well, we should pause on that point because it's very powerful. You know, we none of us, we're all parts of teams mm -hmm. and it's all about influence. And and the way you just described it, if people understand the context and the why, I think they'll do almost anything as long as you can explain that right. in a way that's relevant. If there is if you have trouble explaining the why in the context, that's a problem. Yes. You know, I actually think what what inhibits people mostly in this area is that it just takes a lot of time. It does. It takes, yes. yes. And so it's like, I'm trying to move fast. Yeah. I don't want to have to go go deep and explain again yeah. and again, but it's actually what works. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you you save more time ultimately because you don't end up in, you know, halfway down an initiative and realize you've got some, you know, some people who are not aligned who are now going to cause problems for you getting it across the line. Well, let's talk about collaboration, which is kind of a close cousin to influence. Mm -hmm. How do you instill that in a culture and still move with speed and decisiveness? I mean, that's a tension I've always wrestled with. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to collaborate. It's the only way to do business. You get the best ideas. You get the diversity of thinking. But that can go down to an extreme where, you know, you just are slow. Right. So what I learned, and this is, I mean, I learned a ton at Amazon. We can get into that. But we this will. is one of the things that really stuck with me because Amazon is amazing from a process standpoint on being able to move things forward, but not so fast that you don't get really good, deep, critical thinking from all the stakeholders involved because the best products come out of that. And so what's that right balance? And so as maybe not exciting as it is to say, it does really come down with sort of the racy or orpy approach, right? Mm -hmm. Who actually is a, pro a provider of information who actually has the right to approve or deny, right? Who's involved in in what way? Mm -hmm. And those engagement models set early and upfront make it so that you can move quickly, but still reap all of the benefit of of collaboration. So Amazon uses RACI yes. in a very disciplined way. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. projects just don't start without it. Yeah. And in fact, communication that goes out about the product will have the RACI yeah. or ORPI, which is another version of RACI, you know, in the header. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really disciplined. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, Visit cmo.deloitte.com. We're going to talk about Amazon more in a minute, but let's talk about Orange Theory. You've been there about a year. A year today. A year. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Happy exactly. anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's reflect on that year. Yeah, let's well, do it. Let's go back to what attracted you to the company. Oh, well, I'm a huge brand fan. I was a member since 2018. Took a break during the pandemic, as many did. Had not quite gotten back when a recruiter called about this um, role. It was still kind of the tail end of Omicron. And so, but obviously 
got my butt back in studio when they did. So just that alone, I will tell you personally, it was one of those brands that just, you know, you talk about connecting in, in, in the heart and minds of consumers. So the story is I had a friend who kept saying in 2018, you have to try Orange Theory. I'm sure all of us at some point have had the coworker or the roommate sure. or the friend or the neighbor or whatever. Or the daughter. Yes, or the daughter yeah. in your case. Yeah. Um, who's, you know, wants to tell people about it because they've, they're, they're, they're ex- the product itself, which is basically life-changing results, right? is invigorating and positive. And so at first, I honestly, I was like, I don't know. I don't think I'm into group workouts. I just, it was kind of a new phenomenon to me. It just didn't seem like maybe my thing. I, I don't know. What were you doing before that? Taking runs? Um, yeah, like just going to on runs and yeah. um, going to the gym, I guess, to pretend like I was lifting weights because let's be honest, I wasn't doing much. Um, <laughs> and so I finally, I think she said, like, come join me. Fine. Like after a many times of asking me, come join me. We'll go for mimosas afterwards. And I remember I was like, all right, you got me at mimosas. She gave so, me the why. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I left that class completely hooked. Where do I sign up? Tell me right now. I'd not really had a product affect me like that. The class was amazing. Once I understood the science behind the workout, which I told her later, I'm like, you could have just started with that. I would have been there in a second. But understanding really the idea of of what makes Orange Theory effective. And so when I would drive by my studio in the middle of the pandemic, when it was shuttered and shut down completely, I remember feeling genuinely sad for this brand and thinking to myself, well, I can't believe, well, first one, I can't believe I'm living through a global pandemic. Let's just start there. But secondly, I can't believe that COVID's going to kill Orange Theory. And I just, I assumed, right? I, I was seriously sad. Anyway, when the recruiter called, I thought, oh, this is, like, well, hadn't been keeping up. It had a lot going on. I had a, a baby and a second baby and all of this. And so I took the call with the recruiter and I assumed it was going to be more of a comeback story. And once he told me where the business was from a ramp back standpoint, I was not shocked. I was thrilled, mm-hmm. but I was also a little surprised at how quickly they had bounced back. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, a brand I love, it's not a comeback story. Yeah. I mean, it is, this is a like, how do we go take it to the next level story? So I was in. I was I was excited. It was a whole process to make sure that, you know, as you know, the mm-hmm. process of getting the job. And there were moments where I thought maybe this wasn't going to work. I still, and I'm being completely genuine, still pinch myself today. It has been the funnest, best year. Most collaborative team. This is sort of the, the role I've been looking for. So... I'm thankful that that recruiter found me. He's actually here. The recruiter's Norm. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, good for you. What was it about you, you think, that – why did they say yes to you? Or why were you I, the chosen? I mean, this kind of goes back yeah. to what we were talking about earlier. Because, look, I think especially at this level, but even more so in this particular organization, it was less about functional expertise. Mm-hmm. It was – of course, that's a baseline. That's table stakes. But it was really about the disruptive thinking aligned with the ability to influence – you know, someone who is going to be able to come in and, you know, be innovative and know how to build and be comfortable building. In fact, I would say I'm comfortable, I'm uncomfortable not building, mm-hmm. you know, status yep. quo is kind of hard. Yeah. I, get, I get a little antsy. Yeah. I think it was that. I think it was also just culture fit. You know, I think it's really important for this brand, a passion for the product, which mm-hmm. gosh, the passion for the product. I mean, you see it in the member base. Imagine yeah. what it's like in Inside. the corporate headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny. I remember early on, I said to somebody, wow, everybody's really nice. It's not a word I use a lot because it feels kind of like a flat word, but mm-hmm. but that, just the best way to describe yeah. it. 
And someone said to me, I think it's all endorphins. You know, <laughs> everybody's always Everyone's working nicer out. Everyone's nicer at DU too. Yeah, that's Maybe right. Maybe the same reason. Yeah. They all go to work out and they have the endorphins. That's right. Well, and all the great snacks here. Yeah, that helps. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. yeah, believe me, I've noticed. <laughs> I don't want to tell you my late night habits. <laughs> Those well, cookies yeah. and M&Ms and yes. potato chips. Oh, that's funny. I've been doing like protein boxes and I won't make you I do those bad. in the morning. Okay, good. I do those. But I get bad late at <laughs> yeah, night. Yeah, that's hard. We're getting, to, we're getting personal here. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, tell me about year one. What are you most proud of on your anniversary? Oh, I would say one of the things that I am very keen on as a marketing leader specifically is around knowing the customer. And so, you know, I often say, you know, know your customer better than you know yourself. Now, it helped me that I am also the customer. Yeah. Early on, it was a natural curiosity for me, even in college, um, you know, in comm school, the idea of the human behavior, right? I, I wanted to go into account planning strategy. That was really where I was extremely naturally curious. And you studied advertising at U University Texas. of Texas, yep. yes. Yep. And they didn't have an account planning specialty at the time because in the late 90s, account planning was kind of the new rage in the U.S. at least. And so I went into media planning because that was what they had. But anyway, when I got to Amazon, I was able to really hone that, right? Amazon is known for being customer obsessed. And they don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. Everything is start with the customer and work backwards. If you do that, you cannot fail. You might not be the most financially responsible because, but and that's the trade-offs you need to make, mm -hmm. right? So if you start with the customer and you work backwards and then you decide, okay, how, what's, you know, if that's not a financially reasonable thing to do, whatever that decision might be, what's the closest thing to it that does meet the financial goals? Everything goes through the customer lens there. So I was really able to hone that and then take that into Freshly and into Orange Theory. So when I started at Orange Theory, it was interesting to me. We had a lot of information on behavioral usage of our product, but we didn't have a lot in the way of member insights just yet. Mm -hmm. Honestly, we grew so quickly that there were just as as organizations who grew quickly, sometimes there are gaps. Sure especially in the areas where you think, gosh, I don't, do we need it? Right. I mean, we're yep. hitting the nail on the head, aren't we? And so one of the first things I did was bring on an in, um, a director of member insights um, that reports into my team. And there's a wealth of information that we have there from our NPS tool to our Reddit community. I mean, we have, mm -hmm. we have one of the largest subreddit communities. We're in the top 1%. Other online communities, even on Facebook and other social channels, our brand tracker, we, you know, we had so much information there that we weren't really extracting in like the best way possible. So we did a lot with what we already had. And then we also put some new things in place as far as new proprietary survey tools. And then I went to Dave Long, our CEO, and I said, you know, we need to be thinking about the future of this brand. You know, the good thing is, is we haven't really changed much in 10 years. We've been around 13. We haven't really changed much in 10 years it's great. The product's great. It, I mean, it works. There's not a lot to fine tune there. Kind of look and feel the same and people are like, we're doing well. Mm -hmm. But the bad thing is, is we also haven't changed in 10 years. And so knowing coming out of COVID that consumer and, and, and just customer shifts, um, seeing those shifts as far as how people are thinking about health and wellness, those shifts are shifting right towards us, right? So we couldn't, I couldn't be more thrilled that you know, we don't have to figure out how to go be relevant. We're relevant. And so how do we fine tune for the next generation? So we just launched actually, I think three months ago, a big seven month long, um, massive uh, custom research project. And so we are basically working on, we 
went through a round of quant or sorry, we started with qual with some diaries. We went into quant, like a, a researcher's dream. We went into uh, segmentation studies, mm -hmm. jobs to be done. Now we're yep. in ethnos. Um, then we'll be moving into really some ideation phase where we're able to distill all that information and think through our next gen consumer, the evolution of our experience roadmap. What does all of that look like? Right. And so Really proud of that project. Uh, it's not done yet, obviously, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we're making some changes. We, Adweek just announced today that we named a new creative agency. So we'll be working with Mother out of LA. A good planning agency. Uh, yes. I mean, they, they blew yeah. us away in the pitch process. Yeah. And you combine that, the new creative with this project. And we just, in, in already where our roadmap was sort of pointed towards, there's definitely some evolution from the brand coming, exciting, and what I really wanted to be a part of. By the way, what, what you just went through, we were talking a lot about this at Deloitte University. That's the job of a CMO and a great marketing group. That's right. To know the customer and bring those insights in and organize around that and develop your innovation program to deliver things that, that will surprise, delight, and build future members. So- this is the work of marketing that sometimes we don't spend enough time on. Well, it's true. And I'm seeing more organizations put marketing and innovation together, which I think yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And again, back to starting with the member and being the member, we I was talking to our agency, uh, Tombris, and they had told us about this idea that they had had the previous year that they just didn't have time to do anything with called Mother's Other Day. And I said, well, tell me more. Tell What does this mean? Well, the idea is just that, you know, mothers really just on Mother's Day, it's not really, they don't get to do what they want to do. Like, you know, is it really all that great for them? And it just feels like there's something we could do there to give them some some time back, some self-care, some workout time, whatever that is. We don't know. There's just something here. And I said, there's absolutely something here. I got so excited. Um, obviously, being our target today, we define our target as the modern mom, mm -hmm. right? Very busy, family time, self-care, work. How do I juggle it all? Fit yep. in the most efficient workout in one hour. And so thought there's, you know, we're 75% we're female at currently. I think we're trending a little mm -hmm. away from that, but currently. Mm -hmm. And I knew from, I was able to pull from my own experiences, which is on Mother's Day, sit, I wake up early. My family doesn't wake up quite that early, but I know they want to make me breakfast in bed. So do I sneak out and get a protein bar or do I just sit and wait, you know? And so like sitting in bed, hangry, sort of like waiting. My point is, is not to sound, you know, above it all, but my point is, is, it, that, that day is really about my giving my children what they want to celebrate me. Right. And right. so it's, you know, and I thought there's definitely something here. I know moms across the world can relate to this. And so we did a survey and the survey told us that 54% of moms find Mother's Day more stressful than an average Sunday. <laughs> 82% of moms would enjoy the day more if they knew there was a component of it that they could kind of do what they wanted with. Right. And so Mother's Other Day was officially born. And so the way we thought about this was two parts. One, we wanted to really create a movement around this. So long, we went to Dave Long, our CEO, and we talked him through it. And we decided we would make the day after Mon uh, the day after Mother's Day, Monday, a corporate holiday go forward. So it's a paid corporate holiday for everybody. And then we decided we wanted to get other like-minded brands to join us. And so we had great um, involvement and reaction from Kendra Scott, uh, Stitch Fix, Daily Harvest. And so we did some really great stuff around those partnerships and really the, the movement behind Mother's Other Day and really recognizing the work that moms do. And secondly, we did an in-studio activation on that day where all classes were free for all moms. And so as we look at impact, 
We hit 3.5 billion impressions. I know. Best it's, of, a, it's a great I name mean, and it's a great insight. Yes, right? absolutely. We also won PR Week's um, Best Mother's Day Campaign of the Year. But as far as impact, you know, some of it's hard to attribute. It was a multi-week campaign. Mm-hmm. We had some digital shorts and some social and influencer and all of it. But on that day, on Mother's Other Day, we saw a 20% jump in new joins compared to an average Monday and a 56% jump in our winbacks, which is, you know, something mm. obviously that yep. we kind of are always working on. So really successful, have a lot of pride in it and just very fun. But really as a, as a female founded company who has a platform for female empowerment, that felt like the ultimate. You've had a good year. Yeah. Well, that's just a few things. Yeah. Yeah. I know. No, I'm sure. <laughs> Now, we had the previous CMO of Orange Theory on the show, Kevin Keith, about 18 months ago. I went back and listened to the show again just to get fresh for this interview. And we talked a lot about company purpose. Yep. We talked a lot about the special culture. And we talked a lot about the importance, I think this was his words, of never, ever becoming a fad. Right. And you're in a category where things do come and go more than some categories. Now, you've already been talking about the research you're doing. That's a great first start. But how are you thinking about that to build a brand that is around 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now? How do you prevent this from what happens to a lot of brands in this category is they go away. The way you prevent it is you disrupt yourself. Um, and that's what we're setting out to do right now, right? We're, with this project I was telling you about, the ultimate goal when we, when we you know, distilled the objective, that's what I said to the team. That's our goal. And so, sure, let's disrupt the category, but let's really disrupt ourselves. We are really the leader. So you look at scale, right? Mm -hmm. And so the other thing that we have going for us, and I can't take any credit for this, is the product itself. So it's, it's much easier when you have a product that truly is truly effective, does what it says it does, does as advertised, right? And what that is, is so different for so many people that it means that our you know, addressable market is rather large, or at least of mm-hmm. those people who decide that fitness or health and wellness is something they want to focus on. So I think that's sort of built in. And so the fact that we've stayed the course, we know our product work. Uh, we've had some variations on it just very slightly just to keep it fresh. But the foundation of the workout and of the product is the same. And so I think for us, it's always about being authentic and taking the research and understanding how what consumers want aligns with who we are versus trying to go out and build what we think they want for the moment. You know, I think a job, the job as a, as a marketer, um, especially as a CMO, breaking through what is like true signal versus what is noise is really hard. So when I think about um, others in the C-suite across organizations, the one role that I feel like is the most affected by those sort of macro, micro, socio, economic, cultural shifts and, and pivots is the CMO role, right? And so right. sometimes it feels like sure. a little bit like whiplash, right? And so how, just yeah. how do you stay focused? And so this project will give us that. So I think that we all feel really comfortable. We've rallied around. We're all very involved and leaned into this project and, and, and making sure we get out of it you know, or put into it everything we want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Now you're coming up in year two. You've had a great year one. It's a great fit for you, culture, product, everything. What about year two? What do you, where will you be personally focused? I guess it's this research and what comes out of it and the plan that comes out of it. But, but tell us about how you're thinking about year two 
in terms of your time, your focus, your priorities? Yeah. So I I think the shift will be more, um, obviously, I've had a year to get the team in place, which has been really important. And so now that I have the right leaders focused on the right things, I think that affords me the time, to, I, honestly, just to have more think time. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that as we go into year two, you know, more more strategic thinking time, more time to dig into the research, even at a deeper level, and ultimately to be, be a partner within the C-suite for true innovation and change. And that's, I think, my key focus for next year. How do you build in time to think? So I have really five buckets mm-hmm. that I think of when I think about how I manage my time. And I'm, I'm pretty disciplined on this. One is people right? The typical recruiting, hiring, developing. The next is really the functional part of the job, which mm-hmm. the functional part of the job, which is really, uh, I get to do very little of it feels like these days, but that being really time with my one-to-ones, helping them problem solve, actually doing the marketing, quote unquote, if you will. And so next is really on research and learning. So as much reading as I can possibly do, obviously industry and otherwise, customer information, competitor information. Comms is the next one, which is really around, again, making sure that all the stakeholders who need to know, I constantly ask myself, who else needs to know? So internal comms. Yes. Yep. All of that, the board, the CEO, et cetera. And then the last one is think time and um, strategy. And so what I do is I have no recurring meetings on Friday. Now, so a meeting will sneak in because that's fine, but Mm -hmm. no recurring meetings on Friday. So I can have some think time. The thing is, is that you can't just turn think time on, right? You've got to be in a certain mindset. So sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. Sometimes my best think time is at two in the morning. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes my team will tell you (laughs) random emails at two in the morning. What I found though, is you have to create space. I just, Mm -hmm. for me to create space. So if that's outside on a hike, whatever that is, just get away from it all. And I find that they just almost, the ideas just almost start dropping in. Yeah. I find the same. Yeah. I find the same. And I didn't do that earlier in my career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's hard to be disciplined on that. Yeah. Yeah. Pulling away feels counterintuitive. Yeah, it does. But it's so important. Yes. It's so important. Now, you have a rich career path, including at Amazon. You had this amazing experience, which I've read about, helping launch the AI-powered brick-and-mortar Amazon Go with the Just Walkout technology. Tell us about that experience. I mean, that's unique. You're part of a team that developed it. So what did you take from that that you carry forward to this day in terms of learning? That experience was, to your point, extremely unique. I'm really glad I did it. It was a big move. You know, I was I was actually pregnant with my second child and moved across the country. And Amazon is definitely a unique culture. For a few months there, I thought, oh, gosh, what have I done? But then you kind of get into your groove. Mm-hmm. Worked with the smartest people I've ever met. So proud to say that I, you know, some of the colleagues that I made there are, are still friends and mentors um, today. And then being a part of, you know, it was, a, it was basically a, a startup within the ecosystem of Amazon. Um, so well-backed startup, if you will. And I'd never seen the approach to product development like I had at, at Amazon. And so, again, back to the customer obsessed piece, truly there, back to the, the, the really just around creative problem solving in the early days. I mean, if you think about it, the technology was 
incredible. I mean, it would mm -hmm. blow your mind mm -hmm. to understand it all. But there were some basic things from a retailer standpoint that we couldn't do early on, right? Like we were a place where you could do grab and go lunch and you could get a healthy sandwich and a healthy or a healthy salad or, or wrap. But if you wanted a bag of chips to go with it, you had to buy a family size because we hadn't yet got to the point where we figured out from a tech standpoint how to be able to recognize anything under four ounces on shelf. Mm -hmm. So, but then we did, as you do at Amazon, right? But I love the idea at Amazon around you know, what I learned really is around MVP, most viable product, right? Versus MLP, most lovable product. Yeah. You can launch with MVP and then learn and iterate, mm -hmm. right? And that whole test and learn discipline was, for me, I just had not seen that before at the, in that way. And like I said before, the level of stakeholder alignment that had to happen, I'm sure you've heard the doc writing process sure. at Amazon Very and everything culture, you have to go. Yeah. But I learned to love it. It's the best way to get to the really good ideas and to make sure you have no holes or gaps in your ideas is go write a six pager on it. So it was a fantastic experience. It was by far the hardest part of my career, um, the most challenging and most rewarding. Why is that? I'd say there, it's hard to explain unless you've been in it. There's just a level of expectation and rigor. And then there's almost this like, and I think you've probably heard this, but like this Amazon speak and process in way that's so different that you actually, you're not just learning the job, you're learning the Amazon. You have to learn to Amazon first, and then you can learn the business that you're in, and then you can learn how your job. And so the ramp is pretty intensive. There's just a lot of pressure. It's a, it's a high pressure company. Uh, we were doing some really big, important stuff and for doing it for the first time, right? I mean, we're launching... AI tech enabled retail stores on systems that were made for e-com, right? And so it, there was, there was just, it was a lot. I will say I would do it again in a second, even though it was, it was really, really um, tough. I am the leader I am today because of Amazon, right? Being, and I don't mean necessarily from an inspirational leadership piece. I mean, from a foundational framework and structure, how do you lead big teams towards the same goal? How do you break it down into components and achieve fast? And that I think has been huge for me. Is that the biggest thing you've taken forward to this job at Orange Theory? Yeah. I mean, I'd say that and the customer insight stuff that yeah. we talked about, you know, both at Freshly and at Orange Theory, these were brands that were rocket ships, you know, I mean, just taking off. And what I found at, at companies like that is, you're moving so fast. You are growing so fast that it is. it takes everybody's full bandwidth just to manage the growth. Being able to sit right. back and say, let's analyze our processes and build out, yeah. like, could we make this infrastructure better? There's no time for that. And so it's an opportunity to bring some of those things that there maybe wasn't time for before. And I know at Orange Theory, they did a lot of that, thankfully, while mm -hmm. um, while during the pandemic, they said, we've got this, you know, somewhat downtime. I mean, obviously the brand was doing a lot for at-home workouts and really to be there for their members um, in the community in a way that they could, but they did take a lot of that to build out tech stack and process, et cetera. Are you writing more now because of Amazon when you're in your business? I have taken doc writing to both. Yeah, especially yeah. into yes, Orange Theory. Yep, and it, not fully to the same mm -hmm. rigor that at Amazon, but I, I have found that it's helpful and that my teams like it um, for the most part. You know, there's some marketers are very typically very used to PowerPoint, so sometimes that can die hard. But if you really want to flesh through an idea, I ask people to put it in the form of a document, even just a one-pager to start. You know who did that first, like 100 years ago? Who? P&G. Oh, really? 
I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very famous for its one-page memos, very written-based culture. Nothing went forward without a one-page memo. Yeah, that's great. And I can still recite what the blocks of the memo are. And the first thing I did when I joined P&G, they gave me a dictaphone mm -hmm. and a problem and said, I want a one-page proposal on this. And you can't write it with a pen. You have to write it with your voice. And I never did that before. Wow. It was horrible. That's hard. It was intimidating. It was hard. Yeah. And I wasn't in an office. I was with like six people in a closet. Oh, my. So you're like dictating and people are watching you and you're like sweating. <laughs> but it taught me to think in my head and to think in a structure that was all about strategy, competitive advantage, uh, collaboration. Yep. Well, and what I realized for me was when you live in slides um, and especially having come mm -hmm. from some sales background, yep. there's... There's a bit of one, there's there's gaps that can be there that aren't obvious. And not just for the person receiving the information, but as the person sure. putting the pitch or the proposal yeah. together, and you don't want that gap to be exposed while you're presenting. No, right? You need to be well right. thought through, but also around, it takes away the ability to be persuasive. Mm -hmm. So I was used to being able to get up in front of a room with a deck and walk people through it. And they were on board. They were ready to go, walking out. And so all of that went away. So it's your words on paper and that's it. Right. So it was... It was a stretch in a good way. Yeah, it's a great discipline. Well, let's move into the creative brief. You're a member of Chief, a private membership network for senior executive women. How has that been helpful for you? It's been really helpful from a networking standpoint. Full transparency, I could do more. But as you know, first year at a job, it's been a right, little crazy. Right. So when I first joined, I was more active. I would go to more social events mm -hmm. and, yeah. you know, from a networking standpoint, I would say I would definitely give a shout out to Chief, especially for those people who are maybe looking to make a transition. Yeah. The networking opportunities and the 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 female empowerment vibe of truly females going above and beyond out of their way to help mm. other females. Right. And so it's a great organization. You studied advertising, as we talked back at UT many years ago. What about what you studied then is still relevant today? Oh, gosh. Let's see if I can remember. Just joking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, a few decades or a couple decades and, you know, college. So I would say it does come back. And I feel like I'm, I'm sort of a broken record here. But it was what really caught me was the idea of resonating. And the psychology behind that was mm -hmm. always so interesting to me. You know, the idea of winning hearts and minds, what does that mean? And so it's it's really, because to me, it's not necessarily about influencing behavior. Sure, that's the outcome. But it's, you know, as a marketer, we want to influence behavior, sure. But behind that, um, we can't, we're not going to manufacture demand. You either mm -hmm. want it or you don't, right? And right. so how do we tap into creating preference? And that has that's really personal. So I think for me, that's, that's what's really stuck with me. Right out of college, I went to work at GSDNM, and this was the late '90s. They were they were hot. very hot, yeah. yeah. And I got to work on the least exciting accounts as a 23 year old. I was on. I got assigned AARP oh, yeah. and Kinkos. This was Kinkos pre FedEx acquisition, so like a store that you make copies at and maybe send a fax. But it was technically, I look back, my first foray into retail. Yeah, sort of understanding that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, to me, that experience as well, I've, you know, really carried forward. Mm -hmm. I think there was an adaptability that, that I, and so from more on a soft skills standpoint, that was really tested. It was something I've, to be honest, for through my whole life, um, adaptability and, and sort of trying to figure out how to fit in and fake it till I make it, you know, considering my background was something that 
I, you know, as, 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 as considering my upbringing um, was something that was used to, but here we are in the professional world coming out of UT and like really trying to figure that out. But I got my, I got my wings. What was it about your background that made you want to? So I came from a very modest upbringing. You know, my mom um, worked two or three jobs at any given time. She was a single mom, you know, lived in small town, Texas. You know, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. I, not only did I not have a lot of support to kind of get out in the world and succeed, I didn't have a lot of push either, right? And so I had to sort of, I, luckily felt like I had that naturally um, for some reason or another. And so what I learned at an early age was to observe and see how other people are doing it, you know? And so, because I didn't have the family environment to show me how you sit at the formal dinner table or do mm -hmm. some of those other things. So when I was at friends' houses, I would just pay attention. And so I, the power of, I really honed that power of observation. And then I think that led to really, you can't do that and not have some insight into human behavior. Sure which then led me into the things we just talked about yeah. from college and on, right? Yeah. Really getting curious and inspired in that realm. You're a curious person, I can tell. How do you nurture that skill? How do you stay curious? I ask a lot of questions. Um, I probably annoy a lot of people. <laughs> that's how you learn, right? Especially my team. That's, I mean, that's really it. I ask a lot of questions. I do a lot of reading. I'm probably, I don't know, maybe everybody does this, but if I have a random thought, I Google it in a second. Mm -hmm. I just want to know. I want to yep. know. I want to yep. know. I can't wait to know. I can't not know now that I already thought yep. about the fact that I don't know. What's the big lesson you learned from Roy Spence at GSDNM? Oh my gosh, Roy Spence. <laughs> we could do another episode um, yeah. on that. <laughs> Who was the founder of GSDNM yes. and a friend of mine. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's Full great. Transparency. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. You know, I did an internship there first and I remember just walking through the halls thinking, this is like everything I ever dreamed yeah, so of. Cool. Yeah. yeah, such a cool agency. Um, still a cool agency. That was really the the, the hot time for them. He uh, came from humble background as yes, well. Yep. Small town in Texas. Yep. That's right. And so, you know, he, he was pretty inspirational. I'll say I was probably too young at that point to truly grok everything he was yeah. saying. But, but yeah, you know, I made this realization recently. I've only worked for founder-led companies hmm. ever. If you think about GSD&M. Yeah. Amazon technically Amazon, yeah, founder led. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, even though he was yep. way far away, GS uh, GSP retail founder run um, wow. CEO. Freshly, at least half the time I was there, Mike Weistrak, yeah. and now Orange Theory. Wow, I know, not intentional. That's a good insight. Yeah, I don't know what it means, but <laughs> we can talk about that later. What's the marketing initiative in your life or company initiative that you're most proud of? It's most meaningful for you. Is yeah. it the Amazon one? Yes, it's absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it. it's just one of those one Nothing's of a kind. Yeah. yeah, one of a kind experiences. I'm glad I didn't say no because I actually said no initially. I thought I just had a lot going on in my yeah. current career tra trajectory and that was a big move. And I, you know, had just found out I was pregnant and I just, and I, you know, I thought of Sheryl Sandberg and I thought of her book Lean In and yeah, I you said, you know what? Yeah. And I talked to my husband and he was yeah. like, let's do this. So we did it. Fantastic. What have you learned at the, at the academy here at Deloitte, next, the Next Gen Academy? You've met a lot of people. You've been in some roundtables. What have you taken away from this? Oh, there's a lot. So, I, yeah, I did I, part of hosting the roundtables. Yeah. So I met with about 18 different people um, in about an hour and a half period, which was great. What I'm seeing is, and I think one of the insights I'm leaving with, is how the, the landscape is changing. You know, CMO is not just CMO. And I, and I obviously knew that. You know, I think I'm in a CMO plus role today. Yep. But also thinking through how... It's going to be even harder and harder to sort of get into that role because 
marketing is becoming so much it's 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 so much more intricate and complex especially with digital etc mm -hmm. and so you start to find that you have to sort of niche or silo disciplines right and so it, yeah. it makes it a little bit harder for the number twos yeah. to, to move up right um and so we'll see how that plays out over time but hopefully i can be a part of helping that what are you most curious about right now i would say you know i can't help but be really in to this brand into right. the orange theory brand yeah. i mean i I'm a diehard. Yeah. yeah. I'm bleeding orange. curious about the brand and where it's going. I am. So yeah. all of this research work that we're yeah. doing, I can't help but just yeah. really think about the future, um, specifically around Gen Z, you know, had been a little less focused on Gen Z to start. You know, you had asked what sort of year one versus year two, mm -hmm. just because I know from a household income standpoint, right, they're, they're the next gen, but yeah. they're not, not quite there yet. Um, but as I'm learning and as I'm realizing, oh gosh, like Gen's, top of Gen Z is 26 years old. So here we are, right? So I'm thinking a lot about that, but really product evolution, brand evolution, experience evolution. Mm -hmm. I see behind the curtain at Orange Theory. I see the amazing people that we have, the amazing people running product and innovation and fitness. The fact that Ellen Latham is still involved. The founder. Um, yeah. Yes, the founder. Yeah. Um, and still involved in sort of mm -hmm. the fitness part of the product. And Dave Long, who just has the, he has, the, he's the visionary, right? And there is so much that we know we want to do and that we can do as a overarching health and wellness brand that, we've been sort of gearing up for. And like I said, I'm seeing the, I'm seeing the consumer come towards mm -hmm. these ideas that we already right. had. So being able to marry those sooner than later, I have a bit of impatience about me. Yeah. Um, it's definitely on my mind a lot. Who's been the most inspiring person in your life? You know, I did not grow up with mentors, just like we just talked about. Um, I just didn't have that luxury like I said, we, you know, academic success was just not built into the, you know, the DNA of my family history. And so I'd say I had um, a teacher in high school who was really great. She was also the sponsor for, I was, oh God, I haven't thought about this in forever, but I was junior and senior class president in high school. Mm -hmm. And she was the sponsor for that. Um, and so she was great. She was the one who taught me that I could go really do anything I wanted and that I didn't have to fit into the confines of the world I knew, that I had seen and known. And then after that, really, it was boss at Amazon. And like I said, I followed her to Freshly. And she was the one who believed in me more than I believed in myself. And so that helped a ton. You know, I coming up in the way that I did, I had, I would say, probably extra special imposter syndrome. I know we all have bouts mm -hmm. of it at times, but I felt mine, like mine was a little extra special. And she helped me really shake that and have the confidence to to trust my gut and and to know that I actually knew what I was doing and that I had earned the place that I had gotten to. And so I would definitely say she's probably been the most influential. Kelly, I've loved this interview. Good. Thank you for spending time with us. Hugely inspiring and insightful. You didn't ask me my favorite brand growing up. That was like the one question. Oh my God. <laughs> it's all right. I, I guess I have to ask that, don't but I? But I'm going to give you a hard okay, time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. So what is the first brand you remember making an impact Well, okay. You? So I guess I actually had to think about this. And by the way, thank you for the trip down memory lane because it was great. I think there were products that I loved, obviously, as a kid growing up in the 80s, right? Care Bear, My Little Pony, yeah. Barbie, um, and then ultimately like guest jeans and Keds. But I remember the brand, you know, that I feel like is more of just product-based, right? They're, the one brand that I remember specifically making me realize that 
the brand can be and maybe should be more than the product itself was United Colors of Benetton. Mm -hmm. And I know they went on to be fairly controversial, but in the 80s, just the, you know, the social consciousness and the multicultural focus. And I remember as a youth being like, oh, this is really different. And I know what this company stands for. I'm not even sure what they sell, but I know like, okay, it's clothing. I get that now. But like sort of that brand first mentality made a huge mark on me. Is that why you studied advertising at UT? I'd say part of it. Looking back now, I mean, I definitely latched on to things. Like Mm -hmm. if you think back, like some of these, like I look back now and I think about, think about in the 80s, like how blatant these brands were with their competition, right? Like the Coke and Pepsi wars. I mean, they would just name each other. Wendy's with Where's the Beef? And like, and they would just call out McDonald's and Burger King, right? It was so interesting of a time. But then other things like milk, right? Milk, the milk campaigns mm-hmm. and even the California raisins, right? You remember these? Yeah. And then in Texas, don't mess with Texas, right. huge campaign still around now. So I was really paying attention. The other thing I was really into was our architecture. And so I actually went to UT and got into the architecture school, spent three semesters doing only architecture because wow. that's what you do there. You don't take any of your basics. That's actually why it took me five years to get out of college because I basically spent the first year and a half wow. doing a bunch of stuff that didn't transfer. Loved it, was really into architecture, used to, as a kid, take the newspaper, the home section of the newspaper and look at all the floor plans and like draw them out myself. And like, and I got in and, you know, I was a a very intense um, program there, was at the time, I think second in the nation and was sleeping under my drafting table. You know, this was before you did CAD, everything CAD, Mm -hmm. sleeping under my drafting table, many nights to finish projects and going into these, you'd have to go present your project. And I mean, sleep deprived going in there and I would just light up the second I had to present. And I realized, oh, I actually like presenting the work and pitching the work more than I like doing the work. And so I made the switch over into advertising. Good self-awareness for a 19 year old. Yeah. (laughs) What a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. it. Yeah. Yeah, Stay in touch. Yes, please do. Um, It's great to meet you. Great to know you. Super. That was my conversation with Kelly Lohr. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. The first one, it's a basic one, but so, so important. Be yourself. Understand who you are and be an authentic leader that's true to who you are and what your values are. Kelly had a revelation that came from a mentor that told her, just be yourself. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to put on some facade. And Kelly internalized that. and She's a much more comfortable and effective leader today. Second takeaway don't be afraid to disrupt yourself. When I asked Kelly how they were going to avoid being a fad, how Orange Theory could be a brand 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, she said, we simply have to disrupt ourselves, not just the category, but ourselves. Third takeaway, we talked about influence and the importance of that. And the way it works for Kelly is that she always explains the why and the context for decisions. When people understand the why and the context, they generally come along with you. She takes the time to do it because it does take time and you must make it important. And bonus takeaway, build in think time. Kelly's very intentional about that. She doesn't take any regularly occurring meetings on Friday. She feels it's so important to pull yourself away and give yourself the space for ideas to drop into your brain. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 
The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.